Welcome to the Veterinary Pulse podcast. My name is Jordan Benchia. I'm the executive director of the VIN Foundation. Veterinary Pulse is the heartbeat of the profession. Join us as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics from student debt to mental health and share stories. Stories connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible through individual donors like yourself and our technology partnership with VIN, the Veterinary Information Network. Thank you for being here. This episode, we're sharing a replay of the VIN Foundation Borrow Better webinar with student debt expert, Dr. Tony Bartels. This webinar provides tangible steps you can take to borrow less while in veterinary school and reduce your future stress. Please check the episode notes for helpful links and information mentioned in the recording. Thank you for listening. Thank you everyone for attending. Um, and also thank you to those who uh, submitted the uh, pre-session student debt and income signalment homework. I saw that many of you uh, submitted that completely. Thank you very much. And also many of you tried that. Um, I, it is something new that we've been playing with recently. So if you had any trouble with the uh, form at all, filling it out or logistically, uh, please feel free to, to type it in the chat. Right? I'd love to hear your feedback in terms, especially the folks who didn't complete the uh, homework. If you just found it to be you know, too long or too hard to use, or maybe it didn't work well on your phone. Uh, it's just something that we're playing with to help uh, collect some of that information a little bit more easily because then when you ask questions um, after the sessions or things like this, we can we can help you uh, a little bit better knowing what your situation is. It also helps us to get an overview of what you're thinking before we do things like this. And we'll, I have some of that data that we'll use tonight for examples and cases and and to try to you know maybe help clarify some of the concepts that, that you all asked a lot of questions about. Um, we do have an all-star cast here in the in the panelist section too to help with uh, questions. I, I know a lot of you asked a lot of questions about repayment. Uh, we are going to focus a, a lot on borrowing in the in the first part of this because you know kind of like veterinary school when you get in the first year you kind of want to know you know give me the scalpel where do I where do I make the cut right but you don't necessarily get to do that in the first year right so I mean you still have some time left before you graduate and have to worry too much about repayment. So we want you to focus a little bit on borrowing and you know, just knowing your student debt and getting familiar with it because then that's gonna make repayment a lot easier. We do have a lot of tools that we're gonna share with you tonight and show you how you can do those sorts of things. And all of these are, are really designed to help remove a lot of the anxiety around student debt. You know, I think for, for many of us, um, you know, we just tend to stick our head in the sand and, and wait until we graduate and then pop out and you know, expect to figure out exactly the best way to pay back our student loans. And at that point, it's it, it's a little bit too late, right? And it's really stressful to do it that way. So if we take it in small chunks along the way and do what we can to manage it, um, it makes it a lot easier going forward. So uh, please feel free to type your questions in there. We've got everybody here that uh, any, you know, we have students, we have recent graduates, we have not so recent graduates, um, all there to help kind of answer and provide the perspective in terms of um, you know, understanding student loans and how to deal with them uh, once, you, once you get out of school. All right, well, I'm gonna dive in and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, how to identify your student loans and, and, and know what you're dealing with. And, and here's a little bit of the structure that we're gonna follow tonight. 
I, you, again, I'd already kind of mentioned the, you know, taking your head out of the sand kind of thing, but you can't manage what you don't measure, right? So you know, knowing what you have with student debt, even if you're just starting your borrowing as a first year uh, is really going to help um, make borrowing through veterinary school and then the whole repayment process a lot easier. Uh, there's a lot of different student loan types out there. I can see it from the submissions that you all provided in the student debt and in income signalment homework that you know a lot of you are not really that clear on the types of student loans and, and where they fall in, in, the, uh, in the, the system. And all of that is really gonna be really important when it comes to repayment. Uh, knowing your finances, uh, again, this is, you know, you've got some time to figure this out, but, uh, you know, living like a student is one thing, but once you graduate and you become a veterinarian, everybody starts calling you doctor, you know, knowing what you can expect to earn in various areas of veterinary medicine can help you not only craft a repayment plan, but if you work far enough back to where you are now, it can also help you uh, borrow better, right? So if you have an idea of what you're going to earn after you graduate, uh, that can actually inform uh, some of your borrowing decisions that you're making now in school. So that's what we're going to make sure that everybody's familiar doing by the time we uh, finish tonight is figuring out what your student debt is going to be at graduation. For some of you, that's a little bit farther around the corner than others. Uh, but we want you to have a good idea of what your student debt balance is going to be, not just the stuff from veterinary school, everything that you're bringing to the table. You know, some of you are bringing some student debt from undergrad or whatever education you had before vet school. Uh, we want to make sure that we're counting all of that. And then we're going to start to talk about income, right? So we have some data uh, we can share with you. Uh, it may not be entirely up to date, but we'd at least get you in the ballpark in terms of uh, what you can expect to earn in various areas of veterinary medicine once you graduate. Uh, but acknowledging that, you know, you've got some years before that happens. So th those numbers could change. All of that is going to help set you up for success and repayment. Right? So knowing what your student debt is at graduation, uh, knowing how to use that information to maybe reduce the amounts that you're borrowing now and then factoring your income in after you graduate can all help develop that repayment plan that you're all asking about um, after graduation. We do have this, you know, elephant in the room to deal with, right? So COVID-19 has really thrown a curveball for uh, pretty much everybody. Uh, it, it has directly impacted your student loans. I saw a lot of questions about, you know, whether or not the CARES Act and, uh, you know, the, the um, interest and payment suspension applies to you. And, and we're gonna make sure that you understand that as well. So the tools that we have that we'll review tonight will help shed some light on, on that as well. All right, so why do I care? Why, why am I even talking to you all about this? So um, this was something that uh, kind of caught me off guard and I'm a career changer, if you will. I came to veterinary medicine as a second, second or even third career at this point. Um, but I thought I was doing all the right things to keep my costs low, to borrow as little as possible. Uh, and I still ended up with a lot of debt, right? So uh, even if you have the best intentions and you're pretty well informed, I came from a finance background. I thought I was doing all the right things, moving to the state that I applied to uh, first on my list, which was Colorado State, getting admission there, paying in-state tuition. I got my MBA for free as part of that. Uh, but then I met my now wife in veterinary school, which is also not uncommon. Um, and she brought a little bit more student debt to the table than I did. So together we have a combined student debt total of more than $400,000. And this is, you know, this was, you know, the best that we, we could, the lowest we could keep it. We currently use a income driven repayment plan to manage that. Um, the plan that we use is called repay or revise pay as you earn. 
And as some of you may have learned or heard through the grapevine, uh, there are these income-driven repayment plans out there that have you make payments that are based on your income, uh, but they can come with a tax bill down the road. Um, and we are planning and saving for that tax bill because we anticipate hitting it. And we're about 60% of the way towards savings, uh, saving to that goal uh, with about 17 years to go in repayment. And essentially what that means is we're ahead of schedule, right? So we have been able to manage our student loans and, and build the rest of our financial plan uh, without having to pay too much towards our student debt, all while being able to save towards the anticipated forgiveness that we, um, we anticipate having in about 17 years. So if you borrow for undergrad, if you're borrowing for vet school, um, this is the time to obtain that student aid data file. And, and it looked like some of you, many of you were successful in retrieving that, but we're gonna go through that process right now because it didn't look like some of you also had some trouble finding that. So the studentaid.gov website. So we'll start there tonight in our first demo. So all, this, this is pretty much the central repository for um, everything student loans now. So it used to have to go to a different websites, but now they all have it in one place, which is great. You can log in, right? This is the same credentials that you use to apply for federal student aid while you're in school. And you guys are going to see my share of the student debt. Right? But when you're in here, what we're looking for is the student aid data file, right? So that this is kind of your dashboard. Your, it gives you a summary of what you have. So I've got $164,000 of principal and I've got $7,700 of unpaid interest, which is a whole other topic that we might get to tonight. But what you're looking for in here is view details. So in this view details section, you're gonna to get to this My Aid page and you're gonna find this link in the top right-hand corner of your screen that says Download My Aid Data, right? So this is your federal student aid data file, right? So this is the ugly looking text file that I encourage everybody to download. If you click on this, it'll actually download it to your computer and then you'll be able to take that student aid data file over to the VIN Foundation Student Debt Center. VinFoundation.org forward slash either my student loans or you can go to Student Debt Center. Um, that will get you there. But we're going to use the My Student Loans tool. My internet will cooperate. All right, so when you get to the VIN Foundation Student Debt Center, you're going to see three options. So if you haven't borrowed any student loans yet, but you will, then you're going to go right to the in-school loan estimator, which we're going to talk about in a second. But for most of you, you already have student loans, right? So if you already have student loans and you've already borrowed through the federal student system, you'll have a federal student aid data file. Right? So that file that you just obtained from studentaid.gov, you're going to come here, click this button, and we're going to upload it into our into our system. So I've got a number of these that we're going to use as demos tonight. Uh, we'll pick a 2024 grad. This is a Michigan State student, a non-resident who has borrowed, um, looks like just for this first year so far, right? And this is the loans that they have so far. Right, so this is the first disbursement that they received for the first semester of veterinary school as a non-resident. You can see that the interest rates are zero, right? So those of you that asked about the CARES Act and the impact of COVID-19 on student loans, 
this is where you're going to see that, right? So you can take that data file. It's got all the student loans that you've borrowed so far. And if your loans are covered under that CARES Act, you're going to have a 0% interest rate listed in your student aid data file, which will also be reflected in this My Student Loans tool. You can see a different breakdown, the loan types, right? So this is another, I can see source of confusion, right? The different loan types, direct unsubsidized loans versus direct grad plus loans, right? These are two different loan types, but they're still within the federal student loan system. They're both direct loans, which is a type of loan, which means it comes directly from the Department of Education, right? So here we can start to decode some of our, our student loans. It'll, see, it'll show our loan servicer. In this case, it's Mohila. Then one of the most valuable tools that are probably in here is, is showing you which income-driven repayment plans that you are eligible to use. Uh, this is kind of for later on down the line, but basically what you've borrowed so far, no matter when you started borrowing or you know, whether it was this year or 10 years ago, is going to determine which income-driven repayment plans you are eligible to use. So if you upload your student aid data file, this is gonna give you an idea of the income-driven plans that you're going to be eligible to use. And income-driven repayment plans are really the only ones that have these, these goofy eligibility requirements. And, and those requirements are based on the loan types you have, as well as uh, when you started borrowing, right? So this, this has got the, all the algorithms built into it that will help to determine which income-driven repayment plans that you qualify for. So we know this person's a first-year student and they have some borrowing left to go. Right, so we, we, when you upload it as a student, you're gonna end up with this button up here that says send your loan data to the in-school loan estimator. Right, and this is the next tool that we're gonna focus on a lot tonight. Right, this is gonna help us estimate how much student debt we're going to have at graduation. Right, so we know that this person is a Michigan State student and they are actually a non-resident and they've got three years left to borrow. We also know that this interest suspension that is uh, dictated by the CARES Act and then was extended by presidential action through the end of the year is going to be extended through uh, the end of the year here. Since our interest rates are zero, we're gonna have to make some guesses. Uh, because we only have two student loans here, I'm gonna guess that it's somewhere between 4.3 and 5.3, which are the interest rates right now. So we'll say 4.8 for now. And this is basically gonna calculate how much more interest this is going to accrue through graduation. And then we have to figure out how much more we're going to borrow, right? So this person has, you know, is borrowing roughly uh, $70,000 per year, right? So if we assume that they're on that, if they kind of stay on that same schedule, right? As a non-resident, just to give us a ballpark estimate, we also have to figure out what we think interest rates are going to do, right? This, this is actually the lowest we've seen these interest rates under this current structure, that's 4.3%. So chances are they're probably not gonna go any lower. They could, right? But I tend to think they're probably going to go up. All right, so this, this, take, this is a little bit of guesswork, right? But whatever number you wanna put in here is gonna at least get you a, get you a ballpark figure and we generate our loan details, and we can see that if our estimates are correct, this person would have a starting repayment balance of about $265,000 at graduation with a weighted average interest rate of about 4.4%, which is actually really good, right? So those of you that are starting veterinary school now, 
um, your interest rates are, are, again, are some of the lowest they've ever been, that we've ever seen them. And they're shut off right now. So uh, you're, you're going to be the beneficiary, most likely, of, of some of the lowest interest rates that, that we've seen for graduate school in, in quite some time. Uh, so that's great, right? So timing-wise, you know, even though COVID and everything is, is kind of tossing our worlds upside down, uh, there are some silver linings in terms of uh, costs and, and particularly when we see interest rates. But this helps to generate that, that D in the, in the debt to income ratio equation that we're going to talk a lot about tonight. So that's a first example of how you can use the tools that are available to start um, working through that analysis for you. All right, we already looked at that. Okay, so why are we doing this now, right? So everybody knows, and if you haven't figured it out yet, I mean, you're probably figuring it out, but veterinary school is expensive and debt really stresses people out. Uh, student loan repayment has gotten extremely complex. Uh, it's very difficult to choose, I guess, the right or quote, best repayment plan uh, without doing some research and homework. Uh, but that's what we're here for, right? We're here to help provide some of that information so you can make that decision when the time comes. Your income and family specifics are gonna matter more than ever. Uh, and that has to do with the income-driven repayment plans that are available, right? So they take into account your income and your family size when they calculate the payment. And finance might not be your forte yet, uh, but that's what we're here to, to help. And, and we're super excited that uh, we now, VIN, VIN Foundation has a partnership with RIP.Vet, Dr. Rosa, to uh, provide financial education, right? So this personal financial success course uh, is available to you for free. If you go to this link, drip.vet forward slash VIN, um, you can sign up based on your, your class year and you will start receiving a whole bunch of information to take the mystery out of what, what is finance. And I, I'll kind of invite uh, Dr. Rosa to add anything that he wants to add here. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Thanks, Dr. Bartels and the rest of the VIN and VIN Foundation teams. Um, but, you know, we're thrilled to be a part of this. Um, and the thing that I'll add in here is, is this is an overwhelming amount of information um, for the folks that are out there. This is the true fire hose approach of information, which is phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I, I really encourage you guys to, to get everything that you can and then come back and listen to the recorded webinar and soak up every bit of information that you can out of this. Um, however, we do a lot of this similar things, not in this depth on student loans, but we trickle it out in small drips of information where you're getting a little bit at a time over your entire, you know, veterinary school career. So, you know, um, a couple of different ways to approach things, get it in the fire hose, but then also, you know, uh, think about your finances basically on an every other day basis. And that's what the personal financial success uh, course helps to do. Very cool. And I think that, you know, this is, you know, I, for a lot of um, students, particularly student debt really opens the door to the whole world of finance. And there's just so much that that entails that we can't cover it all. Right. But with the supplement of, of a resource like drip.vet, you can get a lot of that information and that curiosity just kind of feeds that curiosity. And a lot of this stuff will start to make a lot more sense as you immerse yourself into it. Yeah, a lot of what we do is just basically you can do it. I mean, this stuff seems overly complex and it seems very convoluted at this point, but I guarantee if you can understand and get yourself through organic chemistry, you can certainly understand the world of personal finance um, and even student loans. So you're doing the right thing. You're here, you're listening, you're, you're playing along. 
However, um, you know, you, you can do it for the long term. Thanks, Tony. Yep. Cool. So uh, just to know who's here tonight, we're going to do a poll. And I'm going to share that as soon as I find the button that allows me to do that. There it is. Okay. So you all should see a poll on your screen. That helps me understand who we're who we're talking here to tonight. And Dr. Bartels, while folks are voting too, I think a, a common theme that's popped up in the Q&A box, and so I know you're going to get to it initially, but what do we do with those 0% interest rates, those very low interest rates? Do we go off and go back and pay other loans off? Do we pay the interest on the loans that we currently have? Um, it, it, that question's been asked multiple times. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And it really, it really depends. Um, we're going to get into that in a little bit more depth. Uh, I would say for the time being, enjoy it, right? I think this is, this is um, again, this is kind of like, like we took a time machine back, back in the day, you know, kind of when, uh, when Paul was borrowing his student loans, right? They used, they used to all be subsidized, which means you didn't accrue interest during school. Well, that, that changed a long time ago, right? So we're kind of been thrown right back into that subsidized loan benefit, which is nice, right? So for you early your students, it's really going to knock off a lot of the interest that tends to accrue um, until you get to graduation. And for those of you that are knocking on the door of graduation, um, you tend to have kind of the maximum loan balance that you're going to have now. So to have all of the interest rates shut off at this point is going to be a maximum benefit for those of you that are, those of you that are about to graduate. All right, so let's share the results here. So it looks like we've got mostly first years, which is great. It's always great to get you all engaged in this as early as possible uh, because you have the most difference you can make when it comes to borrowing. Uh, so that's great that you're thinking about already thinking ahead of what, you know, what you can do with those low interest rate loans. And we do look like we've got some people at a glass of 2021 and 2022 that are kind of, you know, knock on the door of graduation. So again, you know, you, you probably have a little bit heftier student loan balances at this point. And having that is at zero percent interest rate is really going to be beneficial for you right now. Okay. So, so again, why do we do this now? And and really, you know, you, you, the cake is in the oven here, um, but it's not baked yet. And for some of you, this is your first loans, just like that example that I went through from Michigan State, and that was their first set of loans that they they appear to have uh, tied to their name. Uh, maybe you're kind of a borrowing pro, right? Some of you have borrowed for uh, undergrad or, or maybe the classes you had to take before you went to vet school and you might have a, a student aid data file that looks more like mine where there's dozens of loans in there. Um, and that's okay too, right? I mean, you just want to be able to, to upload that file and look at those student loans and, and understand what you're dealing with. A couple of common themes that usually come up or, you know, loans are inevitable. What can I do to change that? I mean, they are right. I mean, you do have to, if you, unless you've got, you're sitting on a pile of cash or, you know, your family's willing to pay for your veterinary education, you probably have to borrow. Right. But just because you have to borrow doesn't mean that you have to max out that borrowing. Right. So anything that you can do uh, between now and when you graduate to lower that amount is going to make repayment easier. Right? It is always easier to manage less than it is to manage more. Um, while you can manage more, um, it's still always easier to manage less. 
a lot of folks kind of take it all and worry about it later. I'll throw my wife into that camp, right? There's, you know, for, for many of us, particularly those that, that have known we wanted to be a veterinarian since the time we were a toddler, um, you know, this stuff is just a speed bump and it's just kind of an unfortunate side effect of becoming a veterinarian. Uh, but if you wait until you graduate to take a look at this and really try to um, uh, figure it out, that's when the stress really sets in. And, and that's really, you know, that's not the time to, to hit the panic button and start, you know, making uh, rash decisions. And then we've also got these special circumstances, right? I mean, I think this, this has really highlighted some of the, um, I don't know, uncertainties that can exist, as well as some of the benefits that you all carry with uh, federal student loans, right? And for the most part, and I have some data on that too, based on what you showed me, uh, the overwhelming majority of you are using federal student loans to, to finance your, your veterinary education. And uh, while that's scary uh, because the numbers are pretty big, it's also uh, pretty beneficial, right? Because we can have things when we hit unforeseen things like a pandemic where, you know, we do have a legislative body in this country that apparently still works occasionally and we can turn the student loan interest rates off for a period of time because it seems like it makes sense to do so, right? So I think that those are some, some encouraging things when it comes to student loans and, and you guys are all the beneficiaries of that right now. As well as myself, you know, those of us that are in repayment uh, are experiencing not only the interest rate being uh, set to zero, but also our payment is not due, right? So we have nine months of a, a payment reprieve and that time still counts towards forgiveness. So it has been extremely beneficial for those of us in repayment as well. So setting yourself up for repayment starts now, right? Don't, don't overlook what you can do. Um, it's always easier to manage less than, than more, uh, regardless of the repayment strategy that you're going to use. We do have to talk a little bit about cost of attendance. Uh, so this is what determines how much you're allowed to borrow, right? And that's all of you that have, have used student loans and filled out this free application for federal student aid. Um, what you're offered is determined by your expected family contribution which is almost nothing because you're considered independent from your parents when you reach graduate school, right? So unless you were, you know, a millionaire before you started veterinary school, your expected family contribution in most cases is zero, which means you're going to be offered the entire cost of attendance that is published by the school. Uh, that, that financial aid award is fulfilled uh, through direct unsubsidized loans, direct grant plus loans, and if you do provide your parents financial information, you might be considered for health professional student loans or loans for disadvantaged students. Right, so I did see that, that many of you indicated that you have these. Uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect there, right? I mean, so you're considered to be independent from your parents for the most part when you fill out this application, but there are these two loan types that do require your parents' financial information for you to be even considered. Uh, and then they provide those loans based on need. And they use your parents' financial information to determine that need. Not all schools have them. Uh, most of the state, state schools have access to the HPSL and LDS, but I, I don't see them very frequently with private loans or, or any of the, uh, the Caribbean schools or foreign accredited schools. Your accreditation status and where your school is located also will have an effect on the, uh, the amount or at least the loan types that you're eligible for. So uh, foreign schools aren't eligible for the same limits of certain loan types as the schools that are, list, are, are located in the US. So let's look at an example of this. So if I take my alma mater, so Colorado State, the cost of attendance for 2021 for a, a non-resident, this is what 
this is what I mean when I talk about the cost of attendance, right? So this is your tuition and fees, and then the amount that they allocate for your living expenses, all total up to be what is known as the cost of attendance. Colorado State is an accredited US veterinary school with an expected family contribution of zero, I can expect to be offered the full cost of attendance, $83,464. That's first going to be fulfilled through a combination of direct unsubsidized loans. Right, so this is where the limits and where the school is located comes into play. Right, so I'm eligible for 40,500 in direct unsubsidized loans as long as my accredited school is located in the US. If, if, if I'm attending vet school outside of the US, I don't get access to this extra 20,000. The current interest rates when they're not zero for this set of loans for this academic year are 4.3% of the direct unsubsidized. And then anything else that I still need to cover that cost of attendance is covered by direct RAD plus loans. And that's at a little bit higher interest rate. So in this example, I would get 40,500 in the direct unsubsidized loans and 42,000 or nearly 43,000 in the direct RAD plus loans. You do have to apply, uh, there's a separate application for the direct RAD plus loans. I do find that a lot of folks feel or, or they think that 40,500 is the max. Uh, when you're in grad school, there is no max, right? The max is this cost of attendance number, right? So if you're hitting the 40,500 and you need more, you can always apply for direct grad plus loans, although they are more expensive. So you have to be aware of that. If we look at it a different way, right? So this is where you can interject yourself, right? So that, that um, cost of attendance function, you really don't have any control over that, right? The school sets that. Uh, this cost of living or everything that's not tuition and fees is, is essentially what I call cost of living, right? Which is going to result in about $1,700 per month for a Colorado State student. If we divide this up, right, so fall, you're in the fall semester, you're gonna receive half of your quote refund, the amounts that don't go towards tuition and fees in the fall, and then you're gonna receive another half in January when you have your next semester, right? So you're roughly going to get your living expenses, pretty much anything that doesn't, uh, isn't tuition and fees are going to be refunded to you uh, or end up in your bank account. And that's the pile of money that you're gonna use to live from but we wanna know what your actual expenses are, right? And this is where budgeting comes in. So you can either take the 10,402, let it sit in your checking account and hope that's going to be enough. Uh, and then, you know, cross your fingers until you get to the next semester, or you can actually build a budget, right? And this is where, you know, kind of the rubber meets the road, right? So this is what the school says your living expenses are, right? But you may have a different situation, right? And generally these living expenses, um, are based on, a, you know, kind of a two-person occupancy. You know, when I was in vet school, we had, you know, three, four, five roommates, right? So, I mean, if you're, if you're one of those people that have a lot of roommates, you probably have a lower uh, living expense, uh, you may not need this full awarded amount, right? So, you can decline it, right? You can actually send it back if you don't need it, but you're not going to know if you need it unless you have a budget. One of the other things that I would recommend that you do, because this is not normal, Right. When you get, you know, when you get paid through your student loans and you get a lump sum of ten thousand dollars in August, that's supposed to last you until January. That's not that's not normal. Right. I mean, nobody really gets paid like that. Right. So what you can do to try to get yourself into a better habit is take that refund and put it into an online savings account. Right. So go on to bankrate.com or nerdwallet.com and look for the highest yielding 
online savings account, transfer you know what you don't need to cover that August monthly expenses into that account, and then set up automatic transfers into your checking account that will cover what your projected monthly expenses are. Right, that will get you in a better habit of separating yourself from that pile of money. Right, I mean, you can think of it. You know, when I in my my college days, right, if I went to the bars with a hundred dollars in my pocket, I didn't come home <laughs> with anything. Right, if you got ten thousand dollars in your checking account just sitting there, burning a hole in your pocket, you're probably more likely going to spend it on the front end, and then you're going to be wondering how you're going to make it through the end of the semester. Right. So discipline yourself a little bit. It'll help you kind of get you know, familiar with how you can set up bank transfers and you'll even earn a little bit of interest on that savings account. Uh, but then you'll have a better idea of what you have left uh, as you're approaching the end of the semester. And you might even be able to return some of that financial aid award uh, if you find out that you have extra. This is also another area. I, I know we talk about this in some of the uh, drip.vet uh, materials, but you know, just budgeting, how to budget, just introducing you to some of the tools that are in there. Those are, that's an example of some of the information that you're going to find uh, through the drip.net platform. Dr. Bartels, these are extremely simple concepts, but not a lot of people do them. They're not complex at all. It's about getting yourself in the habit to do these things correctly. Absolutely. And those things carry over, right? I mean, I, I use, you know, automatic bank account, account transfers now for, for pretty much everything. It really helps in the budgeting process. It makes you a much better veterinarian. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> With more, uh, more income than expenses. So uh, let's take a little bit closer look at some of the different loan types, right? So this, and this gets into some of those questions that, uh, that you're asking about you know, should we do something different with some of this student loan money because it's at 0%. So again, the 0%, and I, I don't know exactly how long that's gonna last, right? We do know that it's gonna last at least through the end of this year. It could get extended, right? It was supposed to end at the end of this month, right? But then it got extended through the end of this year. Um, we may see it get extended beyond that. I, it really depends on uh, how things are going in the economy and, you know, the perception of how well handled the pandemic is. Um, but when those loans start accruing interest again, though, these are the interest rates, right? So your direct unsubsidized loans are at 4.3%, your grad plus loans are at 5.3%. Um, there are fees associated with these loans too. They take them right off the top, right? So for every $100 of direct unsubsidized loans that you receive, about a dollar of that is taken uh, by the Department of Education. Uh, for the direct grad plus loans, for every $100, a little more than $4 is taken. Right, so you won't receive as much um, in the direct grad plus because of the fees and you're gonna pay a higher interest rate when they do accrue. You may have some subsidized loans from undergrad, right? And those tend to have lower interest rates. Um, they are subsidized, they're not accruing any interest while they're in school normally. Leave those alone, right? There's no reason to uh, get too stressed out or pay too much attention to those. They aren't gonna cost you anything until you enter repayment after, after veterinary school. For those of you that have the health profession student loans or loans for disadvantaged student, uh, those are not, uh, uh, sometimes they're covered under the, the, um, this interest and payment suspension, uh, sometimes not, but they're always subsidized, right? So during school, you don't get charged interest on these loans anyway. And this is actually an anomaly for the first time we've got direct unsubsidized loans for graduate school uh, that have an interest rate that are lower than the health profession student loans. But I still recommend if you can get access to these these are some great loans to maximize, right? Because you know that they're not going to cost you any interest 
for the duration of school, even though that interest rate might be a little bit higher after you graduate, um, I would still take advantage, full advantage of these uh, to reduce your need for any of the grad plus loans or to knock down some of the unsubsidized loans. Uh, Tony, we've just got a quick question I want to interject here because you just covered it, but I just want to make sure that the answer is very clear to them. So for first and second year students, is taking out the HPSL loan still better than taking out the equivalent amount in the unsubsidized loan, which now has a lower interest rate than the HPSL, which you're saying yes. Yes, absolutely. Because again, especially if you're in your first or second year, and we actually, we did this. There was a, there was a UC Davis student that asked this question. It's on the VIN uh, student debt folder. And, and we kind of went through the math and, and how this all works. So if you want to see that detail, and I'll, I'll show you how you get to that VIN student debt folder later. Um, but we went through this exact analysis and for first and second year students, I mean, I, I wish I could say that your interest rates are going to be zero for the duration of school, but that probably ain't going to happen. Right. So you're going to be charged interest at some point again during school. Uh, your health profession student loans never accrue interest while you're in school. Right. So you can be guaranteed that you will not accrue interest on your health profession student loans for the duration of school. Now, the question the UC Davis student posed in the student debt folder was for a fourth year student. Now, that's a little bit different, right? I, that might change the calculation a little bit because it's quite, you know, quite likely that interest is going to get turned back on in the beginning of the year here, but maybe it gets suspended again, right? So if you're a gambler, uh, you, you, you might actually come out ahead by, you know, taking the equivalent in direct unsubsidized loans uh, if you're a fourth year, right? But again, that's still kind of a, still kind of a gamble. And we're not talking about a huge difference in interest rates here, right? So I still like the security of this, knowing that they're subsidized uh, for the duration of veterinary school uh, versus, you know, kind of this, this gambling beneficial period that we're all living through right now. And then the follow-up question, which I think you're going to cover was, how does the HPSL affect repayment with federal loans? And I think that's later in your presentation. Yeah, and it's also covered in this table, right? So, um, you can consolidate these. These are still a type of federal student loan, right? Health professional student loans, loans for disadvantaged students, uh, Perkins loans, if you have them before they stop doing those, they can be consolidated into a direct consolidation loan, which would then make them eligible for the income driven repayment plans. Right. So, yeah, great question. Kind of ahead of the game there. All right. I think we already covered all of that. All right, so for every dollar borrowed, and this really just kind of illustrates that, you know, the earlier you take note of this, the, the bigger impact you can make. So every year now, I kind of update this data based on what the interest rates are and, you know, how much does a dollar cost you, right? And, and really the, the idea here is that the amounts that you borrow in your early years of vet school are going to cost you the most. And that's because you have the longest time for them to accrue interest. And this actually accounts for the uh, interest suspension that we're in now through the duration of this year. I do assume that we're going to end up accruing interest again after the first of the year, but again, that could change. Um, and this is, this is markedly lower than it was last year, right? Because last year the interest rates were higher and there was no interest suspension. So again, you all are, are really the beneficiary of, of some really bizarre circumstances when it comes to student loans and interest. Uh, but we can still see that anything that you can do earlier in the program to reduce how much you borrow or to shift those costs to these, these uh, subsidized loans 
is going to have the biggest impact. So every dollar, we borrow a lot more than a dollar, right? So if we kind of look at this and extend it beyond that to 100,000, 150, 200, 250, wherever you think you're going to be in the spectrum here, this is about how much interest you can um, guesstimate if you're a first year student and we turn the interest rates back on at the start of 2021, right? So this is something that I do find catches people off guard, right? And this is kind of the side effect of how student loans are treated now and being in graduate school. But interest can and does uh, add quite a bit to what you borrow. So every borrow, every dollar that you can knock these down will reduce the amount of interest, which will reduce your total. Right, so the less you borrow, the less interest will accrue, the less you'll have to pay back in repayment. And this is where we get into the student, you know, the, the in-school loan estimator again, right? So that, that example that we went through with the Michigan State student who borrowed, you know, this, just this first year, and then we estimated and we got that $265,000 estimate, right? So that person can expect to accrue something north of $25,000 of interest on their student loans. Right, and that that can give us um, a ballpark estimate of what that total is going to be at graduation. All right, so with that said, what do you think your debt will be at graduation? I do see a, a question in here. Uh, my school didn't mention the LDS and HPSL. Why is that? Is, does that mean they will not take it uh, or that you won't, you won't have access to it? Um, it depends, right? It depends on your school, right? Like I said, I, I think the majority of the state schools uh, do have some health profession student loans or loans for disadvantaged students available. But I would check with your financial aid office, ask them specifically, they should be able to tell you and then tell you uh, the process for applying for those. All right, so we got a pretty good response here. Okay, so I see that we've got the majority of you expect to be between 100 and 200. And then we've got between 200 and 300. All right, so that's that's pretty pretty much what I expected here, right? So. Um, <clears throat> This is going to give us a, you know, a, a good idea of what to expect in terms of um, how we should borrow for the rest of school. I mean, for those of you that are going to fall into these, this, this middle distribution range and beyond, you're going to want to keep as much of your student loan balance in the federal system as possible. And that's kind of the, the concept that we're going, to, we're going to get into next. So, Tony, two things. One, there's a question here. Do you recommend paying interest on loans while we are in school? Like likely that would mean borrowing a bit more to put savings towards interest rather than towards school. Yeah, so I generally do not recommend paying interest while you're in school, right? Because you know you you have to you have to ask yourself where, where does that money come from to pay the interest, right? And if you if that money comes from the student loans, then you're generally not going to be gaining any ground. 
And there are a lot of other things that we're going to get into uh, that you can do um, with your finances uh, before you should get to the point of paying interest while you're in school, right? I, I think of students as in financial damage control, right? You're going to, there's going to be so many other things that you're going to want to take care of first before you worry about paying the interest on your student loans while you're actively borrowing. Right, so you, you're generally not going to be able to gain a lot of ground. Now, the only time that, that that equation changes is if we're thinking about potentially eliminating some less flexible private loans. Um, some of you have some private student loan balances. I saw them in the submissions that are uh, fairly hefty. Uh, depending on what the repayment terms are for those loans after you graduate, that can limit some of your opportunities. Uh, if you do have enough uh, in your budget while you have access to the more flexible federal student loans, you may want to try to knock some of those private student loans out, right? But again, it's a matter of prioritization. You know, what do you think you're going to do when you graduate? How is the rest of your financial plan look before you get into using one loan to pay off another loan, right? You know, that's, that's generally not um, a good position to be in. Okay, the second thing is, since you have cake on the screen, well, at least you did, oh, this yeah. seems like a good time <laughs> to give away our first set of DoorDash e-cards. So the first five people that type their name into the chat window will get the first five $25 DoorDash. Wow, wow, okay, 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 okay. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> We're way past five, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, this is popular. We weren't sure. Wow. Okay, okay, stop now. There'll be there'll be three more opportunities here. Wow. Okay, great job. You guys clearly all know how to use the chat window. That worked wow. very well. <laughs> Hopefully, you have more pictures of food. Just to give you guys a heads up, we will be doing this after each of the next polls. So, thanks so much for doing that. We will take the first five people, and I will type in the chat windows who they are, so that so that you know that, and then. Anybody else, you can't win twice, but after the next poll, I'll be asking again. So just be ready. You guys are very quick on the draw. Good job. Okay, go ahead, Tony. <laughs> All right, well, I do have another poll here. So, um, because we can't talk about debt without talking about income. And before I show you what the new grad income numbers are, I kind of want to know what you all think they are. So go ahead and indicate what you think a new graduate veterinarian earns after, after vet school. Again, you guys are kind of right in the ballpark here. So, you know, honestly, the the answer to this question is all of the above, right? It really depends on um, what you do, right? I mean, you can earn less than $30,000 a year or up to $50,000 a year as an intern. Uh, depending on the practice type, um, you may fall into that 50 to 70. Uh, the majority of recent graduates are in that 70 to 90, but, you know, some of the newer data that we have is actually, um, you know, above that. Right. So you can see you can see incomes into the hundreds. Right. So it really depends on where you're going, um, what type of practice you're going to pursue and where you're going to pursue that practice. Tony, I'll weigh in and just for a second here, too. So a common you know, misconception is that salaries have gone down in a post covid world or jobs are harder to find. Um, and that's just not true. The contracts that I'm seeing for this year's class, the class of 2021, 
are very strong. Um, and the contracts that the class of 2020 saw, um, I saw big jumps in the uh, income levels. Um, and so a small animal practitioner at this point, it doesn't scare me at all to see, you know, six figures plus on those contracts. Excellent. That's very encouraging, right? And, and, and where we're going and where we're going with that when it comes to student debt is um, you, you want to be able to calculate your student debt to income ratio, right? So what you think your student debt's going to be at graduation, which you all shared in that poll and then what you think your income is going to be at graduation, right? That's going to give you a debt to income ratio number, your debt divided by your income. And that number is going to really help to determine uh, not only how you should borrow for the duration of veterinary school, uh, but also which repayment strategy you should pursue after. All right. I think, okay, so um, dare I say that we're going to give away five more cards right yeah, now? Yeah, and I think I think but, Rachel. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't even no. say it, and the messages are already yeah. coming in. Okay, let's. Okay, you guys are good. You guys are good. We got. We got. We've got like forty-five names here, and we just needed five. Okay, good. Great start. We're going to take a pause now, and we'll let Tony continue. <laughs> but I do want to pause for one minute and let Rachel chime in. Rachel, do you want to remind the VBMA members from UC Davis? Yeah, I love how fast everybody is in the chat. It's really cool to see. Um, I just wanted to say that if you guys didn't hear me, um, if some of you came in a little bit later, um, and this is just only pertains to the UC Davis BBMA members, that um, just make sure to sign in to my BBMA and click attend on this meeting. Um, it, uh, otherwise, you won't receive credit for the two hours. Um, also, just to clarify, do not press leave meeting um, even at the end of it. If you press leave meeting, it will be like you never came. So just press attend, and then you're you're going to be all good. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Okay, Tony, go ahead. All right. Very cool. <laughs> onward. All right, so we were just alluding to um, debt to income ratios. The most recent data that I have available uh, is from the 2019 survey of veterinary graduates. Um, and this is what we this is what we saw, right? So a, a mean reported debt of about 184,000 for those who did have debt, uh, a mean private practice income of 87,000, uh, which and also if we took the debt to income ratio, right? So our student debt divided by our income was a little bit above two. So as the debt goes up, uh, the debt to income ratio goes up. As the income goes up, our debt to income ratio may go down, right? So we, we tend to see a little bit uh, of a bounce between, you know, the high 1.9s. I'm not sure what we're going to see for 2020. Um, my guess is based on what Dr. Rosa just said that we might see a dip below two. Um, but, you know, vet school hasn't gotten any cheaper either. So it really depends on, on who is borrowing and who responds to those questions um, when, when we do these surveys. But you can also get an idea of, of you know, depending on where you're going, uh, companion animal exclusive tends to garner the highest salaries, um, mixed followed by mixed animal, food animal, and then equine always seems to have this kind of pseudo internship um, new grad salary, right? But they, den they, den they do tend to increase thereafter um, but it does, you know, make things problematic uh, in terms of getting started with student loan repayment um, when your income is a little bit lower. So, uh, knowing what your anticipated debt to income ratio can and can really help to inform your borrowing, right? So, pretty much uh, the the uh, oh, before I get to the guidelines, let me ask you what you think your student debt to income ratio is going to be, and then I will tell you how you can use that information. So again, what you think your student debt is going to be a graduation divided by your income. 
All right. Go ahead and end the poll there and share that. So it looks like we've got, again, from the kind of a normal distribution here, but uh, somewhere between one and one and a half, a third of you, one and a half to two, and then a third of you are greater than two. Right, so this can actually inform our not only our borrowing decisions, but also our repayment decisions. So if your if your debt to income ratio is going to be less than one, then how you borrow is really not nearly as uh, important. Right, so you can explore the lowest interest rate loans that you can possibly find, and this is where we can sometimes see even private loans if you can get them to be have a lower interest rate than a uh, federal student loan, but that might be tough. Um, but pretty much if your debt to income ratio at graduation is going to be less than one, what your student loan portfolio looks like is not terribly important, right? You can get away with federal student loans and make sure of private student loans. If you're borrowing from your family, you're generally going to be, um, okay in terms of managing that, uh, as long as you stay on that less than one side of the debt to income ratio spectrum. And that, what that means is that your uh, your income is greater than your debt, right? And that's kind of what generally, what you know, the financial experts when it comes to financial or for, for education in general recommend that you shouldn't borrow any more than you expect to earn after you graduate, right? That's kind of laughable today and particularly for veterinary medicine as evidenced by the poll. But when you get up into debt to income ratios greater than one and particularly greater than two, then it becomes much more important for you to keep as much of that balance in the federal student loan system as you can. And that's because when you graduate, right, and this is from running thousands and thousands and thousands of these simulations with new graduate, recent graduate veterinarians, uh, the income-driven repayment plan, so your pay you earn, your IBRs, your repays you earn, they tend to be the most beneficial for folks who have a debt-to-income ratio greater than one. Right, so this is how we arrive at these guidelines. So the more of the loans that you can keep in the federal student system by the time you graduate, if your debt to income ratio is going to be greater than one, the easier it's going to be to manage those loans at graduation, no matter what path you choose. Right, I saw a lot of questions about what do I do about internships and residencies, or if I'm gonna be in a, in a uh, area of veterinary medicine where I don't expect to earn a lot after graduation, um, this is how you're going to manage that, right? Your federal student loans that can be um, managed with an income-driven repayment plan, you want the maximum amount of that balance to be in those federal student loans. So your direct loans, health profession student loans, loans for disadvantaged students, all of those loans can be consolidated after you graduate and then paid under an income-driven repayment plan. Okay, Tony, we need to, oh, <laughs> well, I, I don't need to say anything else. Here come all the names. Okay, we're good. We've got, we've got five more. Thanks, guys. Great job. <laughs> Just waiting for you to say something. I know. I mean, we, we were thinking we were like, going to put Paul with a spinning wheel and some jazz hands, and we don't yeah. even need to do that. Like Pavlov's dog. It's not, it's just Jordan's voice. So, <laughs> give it my gift cards. Okay, thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. So, your federal student loans, I want to make sure everybody's clear on this, right? Because, again, I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of you write in the other category if you had direct 
grad plus loans that they're some other type of loan, but they are a federal student loan. They are a federal direct student loan, direct unsubsidized, direct grad plus loans, subsidized loans, whether they say Stafford on them or not. I mean, these are all federal student loans. If you started school uh, before um, July 2010, you might have a federal family education loan, right? So if you had some undergrad or prior education career changer, um, I have some of these types of loans. Uh, they're no longer available, but they are still a type of federal student loan. Same with Perkins. They're no longer available, but they are a federal student loan. Health professional student loans, loans for disadvantaged student, all can be consolidated into a federal direct consolidation loan. So what types of debt did you all tell me that you had? So this is a snapshot from the uh, student debt and income signalment summary, right? So overwhelming majority, 80 plus percent of you reported of uh, US federal student loans. A real good chunk of you, nearly 30% of you have health profession student loans, which is great, right? That's excellent. Some have some loans for disadvantaged students. Parent plus loans. This is a little bit of a sore spot, right? So parent plus loans. Um, technically, those are not yours, right? Those are your parents, right? They may have borrowed them on your behalf to pay for your undergrad, right? But they are in your parents' name. And I do find that people have some very well-intentioned plans to pay back those student loans of their parents uh, in addition to their veterinary student loans, but you can't combine those, right? That you cannot consolidate parent plus loans in with your student loans. There's actually no mechanism for you to take those loans from your parents and put them in your name unless you were to use a private refinance. Um, so I, what I do tell people, and it seems to kind of strike a nerve, is that you know, worry about your student loans first, and then have a really good plan in place to deal with your student loans. And then you can think about the loans that are in your parents' name, right? Because there's physically no way to get them into your income-driven repayment plan, right? Your parents can use it using their income with one of the lesser known and lesser beneficial income-driven repayment plans, but those loans don't even qualify for a lot of the uh, plans that you have access to. So uh, parent plus student loans are a little bit of a, um, um, a problem child in the federal student loan system when it comes to repayment. Some of you have some family student loans. That's cool too. Uh, you know, I tend to see those be more beneficial. Again, if you're on that uh, debt to income ratio, less than one spectrum. Private student loans, most of them are from undergraduate. Uh, if you can get rid of those before you graduate, great. If not, make sure you understand the terms of those private student loans uh, and when they're going to enter repayment after you graduate. I'd also want to know what the interest does during school too, because that can be a grab bag. Sometimes they take that interest and they add it to your principal while you're in school. Other times they'll wait until you graduate. Uh, but you really have to dig into the contracts of those private student loans. Every one of them are different. If you do have federal student loans from before vet school, leave them alone, right? Those are probably subsidized loans. They're probably not accruing any interest, even when the interest rates are not zero. Um, those are not the ones that are costing you money long-term, right? Your vet school loans are way more expensive than your, than your undergraduate loans, if, if they're federal. All right, so we did talk about this. So private student loans, uh, just to kind of reiterate, uh, for veterinary school, they're pretty unnecessary, right? You can borrow up to the cost of attendance with all federal student loans, right? If you don't find that that's enough, then I'd really encourage you to look at your budget a little more closely. Uh, make sure that you're applying for the direct red plus loans, uh, but you shouldn't have to turn to private student loans uh, for accredited veterinary school. Uh, more commonly, I see them with for undergrad and the private student loans, unfortunately, 
are just not beneficial, right? There's a few really, really, really rare exceptions out there. Um, and if you happen to have access to some of those, uh, then great, then, you know, take advantage of them. But to have a bulk of your balance in private student loans, if your debt to income ratio is gonna be greater than one, it's gonna be very difficult to manage those in the early stages of your career. They're never uh, eligible for public service loan forgiveness and they're never eligible for income driven repayment. Right? So there's no way to get them into the federal student loan system. Um, you just have to pay them back based on the terms that you borrowed them under or look for a way to refinance them uh, with another private lender under better terms. One of the major problems of private loans, they often require a cosigner, right? So in order to get a lower interest rate or more favorable terms, they may rope a spouse or a family member into that, which means that they're on the hook if you can't pay or something should happen to you, right? So your federal student loans, um, they don't have those kinds of strings attached to them. That, that, all, that just means, and, and I use this word a lot when I talk about student loans, is flexibility, right? Your private student loans, even if they had a lower interest rate, are generally not nearly as flexible as your federal student loans are, right? So I want something that's more flexible rather than less flexible because I really don't know where my career is going to take me, particularly when I'm sitting as a student and you know the world's my oyster. And every time I go through a different rotation, I might change, I might change my mind in terms of what I want to do. All right, so family loans, um, first of all, I, these, these are some of the more stressful cases, if you will, that I come across, uh, because I find that there's a lot of confusion in terms of between the person who is taking the funds and the person who is offering the funds in terms of whether or not it was a loan or a gift, right? And that's a big difference, right? If they're loaning you the money, then make sure that you both have some established repayment terms on the table. You know, are they charging you interest? What type of payment do they expect and when? Right? I mean, kind of treat it like it's a private loan. Um, if you just treat it like, oh, I'll pay them when I get some money to pay them back, then, then that's going to create some serious issues um, with your family during, during the holidays. <laughs> right? So this, this is a lot of money that we're talking about in, in most cases. So make sure that you know that it's, you know, whether or not it's a loan or a gift. I get a lot of questions about whether or not uh, married folks who are in veterinary school or people who have significant others should uh, let them pay for some of their school. Again, that's, that's, that's some dangerous stuff, right? I mean, you know, if, if they're, if they're uh, I guess, um, if they're not taking advantage of their financial wellness in order to help reduce your student loans, then it's probably not that helpful, right? So unless they're truly uh, paying your education with disposable income, that they don't otherwise need, uh, it's probably not a good idea, right? So I would be encouraging them to maximize their retirement accounts instead of things like that, right? Or making sure that they have a very robust emergency fund or that you, that you all you know, are, are saving towards future common family goals, right? You, while you're in veterinary school, you do have access to these student loans that have very favorable repayment terms. And presumably you're all going to be compensated veterinarians at some point in your career that are going to be able to manage your student debt. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to mortgage your spouses or your significant others short-term or potentially long-term future just to reduce your student debt balance. So um, I think you can do both, 
right? I think that you can all, uh, you, your spouse or significant other can build a robust financial wellness plan while you're still paying for your veterinary education. Um, and, and you'll both come out better in the long run uh, as a result of it. Right? So I would focus more on things like emergency funds, eliminating credit card debt, maximizing retirement. That's way more important than, than I think foregoing uh, your federal student loans to pay for your education. All right, another poll. What's more stressful? No, 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 don't put your names in yet. And actually what we're going to do is we're going to wait until the end instead of doing it right after this poll we're going to wait until the end right before we answer the last questions to get names so that'll entice you to pay attention even longer all right we're at kind of our 90 percent responded threshold looks like i've got a Goof answer in here too. I didn't mean to have that only federal direct ones there. But thank you to those five people who found that one. So uh, owing money to anyone or any organization. I, yeah, I kind of suspected that would be the uh, the most common response. And this this kind of gets into the I guess uh, oh the intangibles of student debt, right? I mean, I'm kind of a numbers guy, right? I, I'm I'm going to do what I think is going to result in the uh, least risk and uh, least cost to me. Um, owing money is not always a terrible thing, right? And I know it stresses a lot of you out, not only as students, but even when you graduate. But, you know, this is not going to be your, most likely student loans are not going to be your only experience with borrowing money, right? And it's, you know, the student debt itself, or debt in general is not necessarily uh, stressful. It's the ability to manage it or manage it well, that is, that is what causes the stress, right? So you can have debt and be able to manage it um, and still have a very uh, robust financial plan, right? So I think that, and that's one of the, you know, one of the goals we're trying to accomplish here is to try to take some of that stress out. And I think it really has to do with more of the unknown and, and some of the not, you know, not exactly knowing how to uh, deal with student debt and all of the options that are that are out there, but but debt itself, as long as you can manage it, is is not terribly stressful. You know, it becomes stressful when you can't manage it. Okay, scholarships and grants. We always have to cover this. Um, some of you are very good at finding these. Some schools are much better at providing them than others. Um, the average, the the reality is, there's not a whole lot out there available, um, unfortunately. Right, so the data that we have, uh, average scholarship amount, it was about $5,000 last year across all veterinary schools, um, or at least US veterinary schools. Uh, and about half of those students received that, right? So if you can get them, great, um, apply for them. Free money is always better than, than loans. Um, you don't have to pay scholarships and grants back. The timing is really important. I do find that sometimes these scholarships and grants don't align with your financial aid award which means sometimes you receive a scholarship or grant, but you still receive the full 
student loan award amount, right? So in that instance, I would encourage you to return those amounts that you receive uh, equal to the amount of the scholarship or grant that you receive later, right? That, that can actually reduce how much you have to pay back. You do have 120 days from the time that you receive a student loan to actually return it. And if you return it, it returns the interest and the fees that were associated with it, as well as knocking off that principal, right? So when, when, when folks were asking earlier about uh, paying on interest, um, it's better to return or reduce your student loans than it is to make a payment on the interest, right? Because that makes a direct impact on the principal versus just paying the interest, right? And a dollar that you can knock off the principal is going to knock off the equivalent fees, is also going to knock off the equivalent interest associated with that in the future. Right? If you're just paying the dollar of interest, you're just paying the dollar of interest. Right? So returning the award amounts, uh, using that 120-day window, um, using your budget to know if you have excess funds, that's the best way to approach um, dealing with your student loans um, if you find that you have excess. Okay, I think this is my last poll. When you graduate, what is your mixture of anticipated student loans? Tony, while we are waiting for the response here, um, we have a couple different questions. One, and this is some of this is we cover in the student loan new grad student loan playbook, which I will put a link for that in the chat window and you everybody that's registered you guys will be receiving an email within the next couple days with a recording of the webinar along with the PDF checklist and additional helpful links. And we will put a link to the new grad playbook in there as well. Um, but somebody's asking how does having federal student loans impact your ability to take out a mortgage car payments other lines of credit. I know you love that question. Yeah. No, it's a good one. And I'm going to end this poll and share the results while we talk about it here. So, um, again, having, having debt in and of itself does not prevent you from obtaining more debt, and particularly student debt, because it's, st it's still looked at by the banks as, as, as being, you know, quote, good debt or favorable debt. Um, but what the real, the real uh, benefit of having the federal student loans is being able to pay them based on your income, right? And you, when you go to apply for financing for anything, for a home, a practice, a, a, a car, whatever, they're gonna look at your cash flow, right? They wanna see that if you were to add a new loan to your portfolio, that you have the cash flow to actually make the payments on that new loan. Um, if you're paying more than you have to towards your student loans, or you're using a, an aggressive repayment plan, like a standard 10-year plan that has you paying 30, 40% of your income towards a single student loan payment, then you're not going to look like a good borrowing candidate, right? So the, you know, it really comes down to how much room do you have in your budget to support another loan? And if you're, you know, if you're, if you're not showing that you have that room in your budget to support one, then you're not going to get that loan. Income-driven repayment can actually make you look like a better borrowing candidate because it pegs your payment to 
10% of your discretionary income, right? So that, that is a known and low percent, no matter how much student debt you have, right? So that can actually help or increase your chances of, of obtaining additional financing for things like homes or practices uh, in the future. <clears throat> Tony, I'll add in just a second here. Um, I work with a lot of recent veterinary graduates that are buying veterinary practices. And so that is the probably the most intense set of borrowing that you'll ever be scrutinized under much more than a car or a home or something like that. And I have never seen a, a, a person denied for buying a practice for a loan to buy a practice based on the amount of student loans they have. If they do get denied, for a credit application, it's because they didn't take care of their credit score, they missed payments on their student loans, or they missed payments on some other, you know, line of credit. Um, so the sheer balance itself does not limit your ability to buy a practice. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for adding that. And that, you know, and the stories that that I hear from from those folks who do get turned down, it's also because they don't they don't have any cash on hand. Right. So they're either, you know, they're dedicating all of it to try to pay off their student loans, which means that they don't have any cash reserves. And the bank also wants to see that you're going to, you know, have some skin in the game, right? That you're going to bring some cash to the table. And if you don't have any reserves, you know, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to show them that, that, that you're, you know, that you're kind of a responsible person to lend to. Honestly, that works the same for a house as well, Dr. Bartels. And so, if I was saving for a house, I'd rather put some money into savings and defer a few student loan payments to go ahead and get that house bought versus waiting till I pay off my student loans or, you know, or uh, are, are coming to a situation like that with nothing down. Absolutely. And that's, that's really going to lead us into what we're going to talk about with the, uh, the repayment stuff, how you can set yourself up for repayment so you can actually jumpstart your financial plan so you can build some cash reserves in those first couple of years after, uh, after you graduate no matter how much student debt you have. And okay, it looks like- we're waiting until after, not now, not now, not now. <laughs> we're waiting until Tony's done. Be, before we answer the last questions, that's when I will ask for names again, just okay. to give it a little bit more time because else we're gonna, we're, we only have one more set of five to go through, so. And it looks like a, you know, the majority of you here have reported that you have federal student loans, which means that you're setting yourself up nice for being able to take advantage of an income-driven repayment plan if your debt-to-income ratio is greater than one. Uh, for those of you that do have those mixture of, of loans, uh, what we recommend there is that you get your eligible loans into an income-driven repayment plan and that you pay back those less flexible loans first, right? So similar to how we would treat almost credit card debt, we try to get rid of those less flexible loans first that don't allow us to pay based on our income. Um, and then take advantage of the income driven repayment plans for managing the federal student loan part of the, uh, the balance. All right, so the tools you're gonna need to do this. All right, so we've looked at um, some of them already tonight. So the cool school cost of attendance, depending on what school you attend, you can, you can get that from your, um, from your school. The financial aid award, you're gonna get that at least once a year, if not every semester. Uh, your budget, right? So building a budget is really important. That student aid website, I don't know if anybody has any questions about obtaining that student aid data file. I can certainly go through that again. Um, I would like to do another example of the My Student Loans exercise, right? So the Foundation Student Debt Center, we're on the My Student Loans tool. I'm going to wait for my internet to function. 
we go. I'm going to choose this middle box. I'm going to grab that text file that I've already obtained. I've got a UC Davis student here. And so this person is a little bit farther along in the borrowing process, has a couple of years before they finish, right? So it has a little bit more in the student loan category. Also looks like they have some undergraduate student loans, right? So all of this will show up in your student aid data file, depending on when you started borrowing, right? And we see that all of these interest rates are zero, which means they all fall under the CARES Act provision. And then they'll also be subject to the extension provided by the executive order. You can see our loan servicer. In this case, it's, it's Mohila again. We've got our various loan types. We've got some subsidized loans here, right? So this is good to know. These weren't gonna cost us anything while we were in school anyway, right? Which is why they, they don't have any um, unpaid interest balance. Right? So this unpaid interest, this is the interest that accrues on your principal when we're in normal circumstances, when the interest rates are not zero, right? So this balance accrues, uh, well, this unpaid interest accrues on the principal but this unpaid interest doesn't get added to your principal until after you graduate and enter repayment. So you don't get charged any additional interest on your interest until after you graduate. Right? So your interest is essentially not compounding while you're in school. That's not always the case for private loans, right? So that's one of those things that you wanna check how they handle unpaid interest. Sometimes the private loans require you to make a payment while you're in school. Right. Other times they may allow you to not make a payment, but they're going to take the interest and, and add it to the principal monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, something like that. Right. So make sure you understand that. And the more frequently they add that interest to your principal, uh, the quicker you want to pay those off. Right. Because then it behaves more like a credit card. All right. So we still have our, uh, our button up here so we can send this information over to the in-school loan estimator. We know that this person has a couple of years left uh, before they graduate. Right, we're gonna extend this waiver, this interest waiver for another three months. I'm just going to guess based on the loan portfolio. So the unsubsidized loans tend to have a higher interest rate than the subsidized loans just in general, right? So just to get you there, we do know that we have another loan to expect this following year. Um, at Davis, the fourth year is a little bit more expensive uh, than the third year. And that's something that you're going to have to know for your particular school. Um, so uh, if your school charges extra tuition for that fourth year, you're going to want to know that. So I can click this button here and it's going to take our estimate for the remaining school year. That's when we borrowed everything as a resident with living expenses. Uh, but then I would have to add a little bit more in that fourth year because I know Davis charges about, I think it's about 4,000 more or something like that for that fourth year tuition. So if we did that and then we again assume that interest rates next year, presuming they're turned back on, are going to be a little bit higher and then maybe a little bit higher after that, right? So I can generate my loan details and this is going to give me an estimate of how much I can expect to have in student loans at graduation. If you're using those health professional student loans, you can put those here, right? So let's say we were getting, you know, $5,000 here and we can knock this down to 58, right? Maybe we're getting over 5,000 that fourth year. Knock that down to 62, right? And the, it will factor that in, put this in here. You won't accrue any interest on that $10,000 and that will save you a little bit of interest. 
right, before you graduate. So this can be our starting repayment balance, right, and that's where we can use to then send over to the student loan repayment simulator that will give us an idea of what your repayment looks like um, in grad it, at, uh, after graduation. Okay. So the student debt folder. Let me talk about the student debt folder really quick. So a lot of you, and I know, you know it's hard to answer all of these individual questions that come up. And, and to be honest, your, your circumstances really drive the answers to many of the questions that you have. So to handle that, we have um, an area that's special on VIN for you to post your questions. Uh, and then we can go into and analyze it like we do any kind of medical case, right? So for those of you uh, that are not familiar with VIN, you all have access to VIN for free as students, right? So when you log in, if you haven't activated that free account, I would encourage you to do so. And there's an enormous amount of information on VIN. Student debt is just one tiny 0.0000% sliver of it, right? But if you want access to a whole bunch of medical information, but also want to get answers to your student loan questions, uh, this is where you're gonna, this is where you're gonna start, right? So you're gonna get dropped on this VIN Student Center. I would go up to the message boards and you can go into your vet, it's under the vet to vet section, right? So this is all, this is where you're gonna find all of the different medical folders. But we also have a student debt folder in here, right? And then I can actually look at all of the different discussions that are happening in here recently, right? So we've got a fourth year student one. We've got Casey's commentary, who is actually a panelist on here, who has generated quite the stir, contributing her experience with repayment being a couple of years out of veterinary school. But you can see how that's going and see how other veterinarians uh, kind of view income-driven repayment. That's been kind of an eye-opener for all of us this week. <laughs> uh, but you can start to see all of the different questions and answers. And we've got one here about Parent PLUS loans, what to do, how to handle consolidation, what to do when your loan servicer behaves badly, which will also be another common uh, theme when you enter repayment. But all of this is really geared at helping you understand uh, the questions are specific to your circumstances. And if you want to post your circumstances in here, you can hit the post new button while you're in the student debt folder here. We've got some instructions that will help wade through this information. And then you can type your questions in, right? And there's an anonymous checkbox. This is one of the only places on VIN where you're allowed to post anonymously. And it's because we're very aware of the sensitive nature of a lot of this uh, personal financial information. So if you have specific questions that are unique to your circumstances that, that we can't necessarily answer in a forum like this tonight, this is where you want to go for, for, for follow-up to answer those questions. All right. So let's dive right into the repayment part. So Based on uh, what, the data that we've covered tonight and what you told me in the polls, I look like a good chunk of you are going to have a student debt to income ratio greater than one. It was probably more than two thirds um, of you. This is what I want you to do. All right, so before you graduate, file a tax return. Right? And I know that you're probably not earning uh, very much income, if any at all, 
but you can still voluntarily file a tax return. If you file a tax return before you graduate, you will have a document on file that says that you likely have an adjusted gross income, which is a measure on your tax return, that is probably somewhere near zero, if not zero. Right? You can use that as documentation for entering an income-driven repayment plan after you graduate. Right? So when most of you are going to graduate sometime April, May of that calendar year, taxes are also due April 15th of, you know, right before you graduate for the previous calendar year. Right? So right before you graduate, make sure that you pencil in on your calendar to file a tax return. Then after you graduate, we're going to want you to consolidate, end your grace period early, and apply for an income-driven repayment plan. That's going to be page one, revised page one, income-based repayment. One of those repayment plans um, that are going to help get you started in repayment. If you have that tax return on file, or you can uh, con consolidate and apply for an income-driven repayment plan before you start your first job or internship or whatever you're going to do after graduation, you will receive a $0 per month payment for the first 12 months that you're in repayment, right? So that tax return just guarantees that you will have a document on file that the loan servicers will always accept, right? No matter what your situation is, if your last tax return says zero, they will always accept that as valid documentation of your income. You can get that $0 payment for the first 12 months you're in repayment. And then after that, you're gonna have to provide that income documentation uh, each year to have your payment recalculated based on whatever your income has changed uh, from, the, from the prior 12 months. This process is started at studentaid.gov, so the same site that we were on earlier that allows you to obtain your student aid data file is the same site where you can start your consolidation loan and apply for an income-driven repayment plan. Thinking ahead, and I think Jordan already shared this, this is the most recent. I mean, if you're really dying to get some more information about how repayment works, uh, we do a session similar to this that's specifically for new graduates every year uh, to talk about how to take stock of your student loans and then get the consolidation process started and choose your income-driven repayment plan. So what you all told me, your anticipated repayment plan or strategy after graduation, um, I was actually a little surprised by this. This is great that 40% of you haven't decided yet. That's why you're here, right? That you get, your, get some information and learn more about this stuff. Uh, usually the, the most, um, the highest response is the repay as fast as possible which is great, but you're gonna to have to know how much your student debt is and how much income you're gonna to have to support that strategy. This one, um, this one kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting this. So income-based repayment. Uh, this, I think this has more to do with the fact that everybody generally refers to uh, all of the repayment plans that allow you to pay based on your income as income-based repayment. But you have to be a little bit careful because income-based repayment is actually a specific type of repayment plan in this larger income-driven repayment universe. And for most of you, IBR is not going to be your most beneficial repayment plan. It's going to be pay-as-you-earn in most cases. And for those of you that it's not going to be pay-as-you-earn for, it's going to be revised pay-as-you-earn for. <laughs> right, so I told you earlier that we use revised pay-as-you-earn and that's because we don't qualify for pay-as-you-earn. Right? We didn't meet the, the cutoff requirements, uh, but we would use pay-as-you-earn if we could. Um, Almost all of you, as long as you don't have any student loans from before 2007 that still have a balance on them, you're going to qualify for pay as you earn. And that is almost 
all recent veterinary graduates these days, right? Even if you're a career changer, it's quite likely that you're probably going to qualify for Pejor. And if not, we still have revised Pejor. Revised Pejor can also be beneficial for those folks that are at the higher end of the student debt spectrum. Right? So when your student debt starts to get above 350, closer to 400,000, um, I, uh, I met with somebody this year who graduated from vet school that had over $600,000 of student loans. So that's when we're going to start looking at revised page one, right? Because there's some benefits in revised page one that we're not going to have time to go into tonight uh, that can help to um, limit the impact of the tax that's due at the end um, when your student debt balance tends to get, you know, into that higher, higher spectrum. So if you can jump, you know, what, and then this is how I, I uh, refer to this as, as jumpstarting your financial wellness. So let's, let's kind of, let's come back over to one of the examples that we ran. Um, let me find that. So Tony, I just want to jump in with a question here while you're getting yep. there. Somebody asked, I've heard that income, income based repayment plans don't allow you to make payments more than the monthly amount you can't pay more or you get penalized for it. Is this true? And how much of a disadvantage is this in the long run? It makes me nervous as I might like to dedicate an extra chunk to my loans if I get a bonus or something. Uh, yeah, so let me, I think that so you can always pay more towards your student loans if you want to. Um, but you, but you have to make, you should make sure first that it actually makes financial sense to do so. Right, and, and this is the value of the simulator. And let's, let's you know, fast forward in the future, 2024, May, let's say that, you know, you've got close to $300,000 of student debt, which is similar to the one that we ran recently and your weighted average interest rate is somewhere a little bit less than five, which could be very real for, for many of you. Let's say that your income at, after graduation is $100,000. Right, but this is what I want you to to consider based on what I told you about the jumpstarting your financial wellness. If even if your income is a hundred thousand dollars in June or July after you graduate, right? If you file that tax return before you graduate, your income-driven repayment amount is going to be zero. And when you start your job in that year, you're going to be halfway through the year already, right? So even if you're earning a hundred thousand dollars a year your tax return for that year is only going to be about half of that, right? Because your tax returns are based on a calendar year, right? So here you have the option to have a very low payment towards your student loans for the first two, almost three years that you're out of veterinary school, right? That's going to free up a lot of cash flow for you to build an emergency fund to work towards a down payment on a house or start saving for the down payment on a practice or to maximize your retirement savings, right? All of these things are things that you can take advantage of instead of trying to pay your loans off faster than your income allows, right? So even if you're earning more than $100,000 a year and you've got $300,000 of student debt, to pay that balance to zero in 10 years or less is going to require a $3,100 per month payment. If you use an income-driven repayment plan, you don't have to pay anything in the first 12 months. You're going to pay very little in the second 12 months, which frees up a phenomenal amount of money, right? So let's say that you wanted to try to pay your loans off in 10 years because you were just dead set on doing it, right? So 3156 times 12, right? Those first 12 months, 
That's nearly $38,000 that you would have to dedicate out of your budget, even though we know that you're really only going to earn about $50,000 in that, that first calendar, that first calendar year. Right? So that's probably not even really doable, but you can free up immediately $38,000 in that first year to jumpstart your repayment. And if I keep working my way down the loan repayment summary here, I'm going to blow this up a little bit. I can see that my total cost in this scenario is even less than it would be under a standard 10 year plan. So even if I did figure out some magical way to live out of the back of my car or make that $3,100 a month payment for 10 years, I'll still end up paying more than I would had to if I use an income driven repayment plan, even though I'm still gonna end up hitting this forgiveness. Right. And then if I hit, if I am going to hit the forgiveness right, and this gets back to the question that Jordan just posed about paying extra. If I am going to hit the forgiveness again, this is the value. It's not necessarily the, the exact numbers here that are important, but just knowing if I'm going to hit forgiveness tells me that I shouldn't be paying extra towards my student loans. Right. If I'm going to hit forgiveness, the least expensive strategy is going to be to pay the minimum your income requires and plan for the forgiveness. It would not make financial sense to pay more just to reduce the tax, right? You're actually going to voluntarily pay more than you have to, and you're going to give up some of that extra cash flow that you can use in better ways those first years after you graduate, right? So this is going to tell me that it looks like I'm going to hit forgiveness, right? So I'm going to, I better, I better think about planning for that. Right. And this, this module here does give you some information on how to start thinking about saving for that tax um, that is potentially due. And if we start breaking this up into small chunks, you know, what seems like an insurmountable, what people like to refer to as the tax bomb. Yeah, $110,000, 20 years when I start repayments seems like a ridiculous way to pay back my student loans. But if I start breaking this up into manageable chunks, right? I'm still not paying anywhere near the amount that I would have to pay to eliminate that balance faster than my income allows, right? So this is really kind of the, you know, what I, what I consider kind of a game changer when you, when you think about how to pay back your student loans, right? Don't immediately run to how fast can I pay back my student loans unless your student debt to income ratio is less than one, right? Because that's when we start to see your monthly payment under an income driven plan be about the same as it would be under a standard 10 year plan, right? Is when your debt to income ratio is one or less, right? And that's when it makes more sense to pay aggressively. So there's another question here, which sort of fits in here, which is how should we best take advantage of the current 0% interest rate? Is it ideal to take out more loans during this time? Yeah, I, I guess it depends on what you were going to do with that flexibility. Right. If you were going to use those loans to pay back credit card debt, so about uh, 10 to 15% of you indicated that you had credit card debt, right? If I had, if I was carrying a credit card balance, then yes, I would take that extra 0% money and I would pay off that credit card debt. And then I would take that credit card and stick it in the freezer, right? Don't use it again unless, you know, unless it's an Uber, Uber emergency, right? If I didn't have an emergency fund, I would allocate some amount for an emergency fund, even as a student, right? Stuff happens, right? But any of the, you know, the three-legged or one-eyed animals that you're all housing, 
in your houses, right? If it ends up in the emergency clinic tomorrow and you can't get that taken care of for free and you get a whopping emergency bill, you know, how are you going to pay for that? Right? So make sure you have enough on hand to handle emergencies. If you got to, if you have to travel home unexpectedly for any reason, right? I mean, COVID has just kind of put a highlight on that one. Right? Anything, the amount that you would guesstimate that you would have to have on hand to not have to put something like that on a credit card. You know, use your student loans for that. You know, this is 0%. They're super flexible, right? That's a, you know, there's, it's okay to keep a little bit of an emergency fund, even if you're creating that emergency fund from, from, uh, from student loans, right? So, you know, don't get crazy with it, right? You don't need to end up graduating with 30, 40, $50,000 more of student loans than you actually needed, but you can use particularly this flexibility that we're experiencing now to shore up some of those er other areas of your finances. And another question, since you're on this right now, is somebody's asking, I heard that the forgiveness is not something we should bank on. Do you think it'll still be there for us? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, that's where I would encourage you to pull open your, uh, your master promissory notes, which also live in the federal student aid website, right? So you can, when you're logged in here, you can look, pull up the master promissory notes. And you'll see that, that, that that's essentially the contract that you signed with the Department of Education. And all of these plans are laid out in that contract, right? So it is, where is the, here, Master Promissory Note for Graduate Professional Students. So you can read this, it's exciting reading, right? So make sure you bring a cup of coffee. So uh, this is going to outline all of the repayment options that you have for your student loans. And all of the stuff that we're talking about are baked into those contracts. And it is highly, highly unlikely that Congress is going to eliminate or change those contracts for people who are already borrowing or who are already in repayment under those contracts. Uh, they can, right? It's certainly a possibility, but I would put it on the order of getting struck by lightning kind of thing, right? So I think it's quite unlikely that those things are going to get changed. Um, and if you follow any of these, you know, any of this student loan repayment stuff for any amount of time, we've actually seen the opposite over the last several years, at every turn, um, Congress and every president since these income-driven repayment plans have been in effect have made the provisions stronger and more beneficial to the borrower uh, than they ever were laid out in the contracts. Right? So it's probably more likely that we're going to see them become more beneficial rather than less. But the worst case scenario is that they're going to behave exactly as they're written in the, in the master promissory note. Dr. Bartels, I'll weigh in legally there for a second too. Yeah, so, um, you know, if the programs do go away, if, if Congress does decide to take them away, and this is a very common question, by the way. So, um, you know, thanks for asking it. A lot of folks have it. They're probably going to change the master promissory note and take those programs away for future borrowers basically for those people that are still in high school or junior high right now. So you're in, you've already borrowed, you've already signed the master promissory note. So technically you are in the system, even though you're not in repayment yet, you're, you're likely quote unquote grandfathered in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, to me, it's just the, just the, how we saw the student loans treated with the CARES Act too. Uh, is just another data point um, that kind of illustrates that they're likely to be more beneficial than less, right? It, 
what they did with the student loans was, in my opinion, completely unnecessary. Um, Income-driven repayment, if you were to lose your job because you had to shut your business down because of COVID-19, you could have gone to your loan servicer and said, I don't have any income, and they would set your minimum monthly payment to zero, right? There is already a mechanism for keeping our student loans in good standing when the worst should happen to us, right? When we lose our income, our ability to pay something like our student debt, that already exists, right? That's already baked into these plans. But they went the additional step to say, actually, we're not going to charge you any interest. We're not going to require you to make any payment if you were making a payment. And we're also going to count the time towards forgiveness, right? So, I mean, there was, there was a triple fold benefit that was handed to all student loan borrowers who had federally held student loans that really, you know, wasn't entirely needed, right? It, was, it, it certainly is extremely beneficial and probably a pandemic warrants something like that. But the, the, the programs were already set up to handle something exactly like that. So if and when your income ever does decrease for any reason, this is another one of the benefits of income-driven repayment is you can have the payment set to zero, right? And until your income comes out of that stage or whatever, the, the, whatever it is you're going through during that, that time frame, um, your student loans are not going to uh, be that added stress on top of uh, you having to deal with that, that low-income situation. Same applies to those of you that are going into internships and residencies. If you're not making very much income, keep your loans in an income-driven repayment plan because the payment's going to be very low or zero because you're not making very much money. But you're still going to be logging time towards that forgiveness and the unpaid interest that accrues won't get added to your, your principal balance, which is another benefit that the federal student loans provide. All right, so I know we're kind of getting way into the weeds here, but I just really want to boil that down to your federal student loans have some amazing benefits baked into them. Uh, don't give that up or, or take that for granted lightly, right? So by making extra payments towards your student loans before your income can support it, refinancing student federal student loans or private student loans, these are some really, really dangerous things to do. And you ultimately end up just hurting your own uh, financial wellness um, if, if, if you if you go down that road. Okay, let me kind of get back on. I think I don't have too many. So I added this one kind of at the last minute here because I saw a lot of you uh, submit questions as part of the registration. How uh, how much should I pay, right? So hopefully we've kind of covered that with, your, with the income-driven repayment plans. Pay what your income requires depending on the plan that you choose. And then for how long? Right? How long are you going to be in repayment? So here's what you all told me. You expect to pay on average $1,100 a month towards your student loans. And some of you said as much as $4,000. Right? And I excluded this person who plans on paying $200,000 a month towards your student loans. I'm thinking that was a goof. So uh, I, th all, of these, all of these numbers are way more than what you have to pay. Right? When your income reaches a level that's maybe $150,000 to $200,000, that's when you're going to hit those kinds of payments under an income-driven repayment plan. And we can test that out. Let's try that. So let's try $150,000 a year, and we rerun our simulation and see what our payment is. Right? So we're not even to $1,100 yet under a plan like PageWarn or Revised PageWarn with $150,000 of taxable income. Right, so when do we get 
to $1,100. Let's try 160000 Now we're close, right? So you all, on average, told me that you expect to pay $1,100 towards your student loans after you graduate, right? For your income to justify a payment that high, you're going to have to be making $160,000 a year, right? Until, if and until or when that happens, then pay the $1,100. But you don't have to pay that much before then, right? Let your income determine how much you pay towards your student loans and the repayment plans will determine how long you're in repayment, right? So pay as you earn. Worst case scenario, you will be in repayment for 20 years, right? That's the maximum amount of time that you can spend in pay as you earn. If you have a balance remaining at the end of that 20 years, that's what triggers forgiveness. And in this case, even if you started with $160,000 balance, we still hit forgiveness, right? So I'm, gonna, I'm probably still gonna pay the minimum and plan for the forgiveness under this scenario because I don't wanna pay this, right? And it's still gonna free up more than $1,900 a month in my budget to do other things that are gonna generate a much higher return than paying a little bit extra towards my student loans, right? So you have to make a surprising amount of money to justify paying your loans back aggressively, right? And when that happens, great, congratulations, but don't try to do it, don't try to force it before your income reaches that level. This is another one of my favorite questions. What's a reasonable amount of time for you to pay back your student loans, right? The majority of you said 10 years, right? The reality is the majority of you are not gonna have an income out of school to support a 10 year repayment strategy, right? So don't fight it, right? Don't forfeit money that you don't have to towards your student loans. You can use that money in other ways a lot more beneficially than throwing it towards your student loans. Four years, that's really aggressive, right? So I would really encourage you to, to figure out, you know, based on what you think you're gonna have in student debt when you graduate and calculate what a monthly payment would be to pay back your loans in four years. For most of you, that's gonna be more than you're earning, right? So that's probably not gonna work. 35 years, there's no scenario under the federal student loan repayment system where you're gonna be in repayment for 35 years. Right, so that the, the concern that I'm gonna be in repayment forever or for the rest of my life, 20 years is a worst case scenario for those of you that use pay as you earn. And if you can't use pay as you earn or you have to use revised pay as you earn, 25 years is the worst case scenario. The average, which I find really interesting. So I've been asking this question now for nearly a year and we've got thousands of responses now. And the average always seems to end up somewhere around 15 years, which I find kind of fascinating. I don't know what to make of that yet, but um, the average always seems to, to, to end up there. So the reality is you're only gonna be in repayment for 20 years or less. Uh, the maximum amount of time you'll be in repayment is 25 years. If you earn more, you'll pay more towards your student loans. You may even pay them off before you hit forgiveness. In which case, congratulations, right? But you let your income make that decision for you. If you hit forgiveness, again, congratulations. It's okay, student loan is still gonna be, student loan repayment is still gonna be over. But if you're going to hit forgiveness, use something like the student loan repayment simulator to know what amount you have to save so you can pay the taxes associated with it. Either way, you let your income decide and you'll, you'll be done with student loan repayment. All right. The rest is just questions and answers. 
So I think we've covered this one. Is it better to take out more than to pay interest? Um, again, if you're just paying interest, unless they're private student loans, I probably wouldn't. Um, usually somebody who sits through one of these uh, tends to make the observation that if I can pay based on my income and I'm just going to plan on the forgiveness, why shouldn't I just take out the maximum of my student loans and then have them all forgiven? Because you don't know what the future is going to hold, right? And it's always easier to manage less than it is to manage more, right? That's, that gets you more into the realm of speculation, which um, I find that most, uh, most people are not very good at. So, um, I would want to have the least amount that I can while managing a reasonable financial wellness plan as a student and beyond. And if I'm going to hit forgiveness, I'm going to plan for it. If I'm not, great, I'll then, then, I, then I won't have to deal with the tax. Trying to play the interest rates is probably a little dangerous, right? Again, we don't, we, we're in a very, very beneficial period now. You know, you can use that to your advantage to eliminate some less flexible debt or, or build an emergency fund. Um, but I don't know what the interest rates are going to do next year. They could, they could easily be lower than they are this year. I, I really don't know. Right. And that's, again, we're kind of getting into that speculation realm where you probably shouldn't be making decisions based on things like that. The last one I added in here, um, I find is, is a really common question. How do I, you know, I, people tend to confuse these two and I think they're um, in direct opposition to each other, right? Tips for paying off debt quickly that don't affect my quality of life, right? Those two things are, are, are kind of antithetical, right? There's, there's really no way to square that circle. Um, if you're going to pay your debt off quickly, you're either going to have to have the resources to do it, or you're going to have some significant impacts to the quality of your life. Right? And then you're really kind of crossing your fingers and hoping nothing goes uh, not as planned during that strategy. Um, I believe you don't have to necessarily do that. Right? You can take a more balanced approach. You, know, you can let your income determine the payment and you don't necessarily have to live like a college student after graduation. Right? And you can build a very robust financial wellness plan and you can accomplish all of the goals that you all mentioned and the concerns that you listed, right? You can start a family, you can buy a house, you can buy a practice, right? You can save for retirement. All of these things are imminently doable as long as you're not paying more than you have to towards your student loans, particularly as your income uh, isn't very robust in those early stages. Okay, we're gonna open it up now to, yep. Okay, well, there we go. Great, great. You guys got it. Thank you. <laughs> and then we've had some people guessing the name of that fish, Tony. Oh, I, th I didn't see that. I see a bunch of names in there. Should have so, made that the... Uh, well, the I thought about that, but then I thought that's probably not fair if they don't yeah, have that's fish in my life like you and I do in our lives. Yeah. So um, people have said trout, rainbow trout, and steelhead. You want to give them the right answer? Yeah, it is a rainbow trout from Colorado. We don't have any steelhead in Colorado. But I caught this a couple of weeks ago on the Blue River. So this is, uh, this was, I bought a raft and um, this was the maiden voyage with the raft. And this is an area that they call Jurassic Park. And it's because there's ginormous trout in there. And this was, this was one of them I got lucky enough to catch. So... Any other questions uh, not related to rainbow trout? Because otherwise, you can take me on a two-hour tangent. 
<laughs> so once, oh, okay, we, we just got that one answered. Um, so there was a question earlier on paying last year's loans 6% with this year's loans 4.3%. Can you touch on that? Yeah, you know, again, I, I, I really don't, I think and it, it depends on how much, right? How much extra you have, right? And, and this is where, and we, we did this too in the student debt folder recently uh, with a student um, from Virginia, Maryland, who was wondering if, if she should pay some towards her higher interest rate loans. Um, it really depends on how much extra we're talking about, right? You know, they, when I look at student budgets, there isn't a lot of wiggle room in there, right? So we're, you know, it, it probably is not going to be enough to make an appreciable dent in those student loans. And if you have unpaid interest on those loans, the problem is you can't pay directly towards the principal. You have to pay the unpaid interest balance off first. And if you have any kind of significant unpaid interest on those loans, then you essentially are just paying the interest. Right, so until you can actually get to the principal, you're really not making a uh, you're ma you're not making a dent worthy of doing that. So I would probably focus my efforts elsewhere, right? Or think about even returning returning the funds if you truly have that much extra. Okay, someone said, can we take out an additional graduate plus loan if the one we took out at the beginning of the school year will not cover a dental emergency that came up afterwards? You can only borrow up to the cost of attendance, right? So if what you took out represented the maximum that you could borrow under uh, your current financial aid award, then, then no, you can't, you can't take out any extra. But if you reduced the amount that you chose to accept, right? So let's say that you had a $65,000 award and you chose to reduce that down to $60,000, right? And then you had an emergency pop up. You can go back and still request the additional five, but you can't request anything in addition to that, right? So um, it depends, right? It depends on whether or not you had reduced the amount that you were offered. Uh, there may be some, depending on your school too, and you can reach out to your financial aid office. Sometimes they have some, um, you know, in case of emergency provisions where you can get an extension and it might be in the form of like a um, institutional loan or a loan directly from the school to cover things like that. But that like, to me is another example of highlighting the need for an emergency fund, right? So, you know, if, if you have the ability, I know that's not gonna be any comfort to the person who had the dental emergency now, but that is a perfect example of why if you do have some extra money, rather than paying it towards other student loans, which you can't get that money back after you do that, you might want to start an emergency fund so you don't have to worry about how you're going to come up with the money for an unexpected dental emergency. Okay, the last question I see here is, is the average scholarship amount per year or overall? That was per year, right? So that, that amount is updated each year by the AAVMC. Um, and that was the average award amount for the roughly half of those folks who received it in the 2019-2020 calendar year or academic year. Wonderful. That was the last of the questions. I want to thank all the uh, rock stars in the background here that have been answering furiously. 
Um, it's made this process wonderful and hopefully all your questions have gotten answered. Um, you, if you registered for this webinar, which is everybody that's here, you will be receiving an email within the next couple days, tomorrow or Friday, um, with the recording of this webinar along with a PDF checklist and additional helpful links. We will also be notifying the winners of the DoorDash e-cards by email. So we'll be notifying you via the, your email that you signed up and registered for the webinar with. So keep an eye out for that. If you don't see it, look in your spam. If you have any questions, you can email us studentdebt at vinfoundation.org. I will put that in the chat window as well. Um, Tony, Lance, anything else you guys want to add? Keep those questions coming. I mean, move move them over to uh, the debt folder, and um, you know, and, and let's keep answering them. Go ahead, Dr. Bartels. Yeah, no, I think it's it, you know, keep and keep asking questions, right? I mean, this this stuff is really confusing. Um, it's really going to change as your plans evolve and become more clear. Um, you know, but at that point, you're also going to know more about how much student debt you're going to have and, and what income you can expect to receive and, and what your financial goals are. Right, and all of those should factor into your ultimate loan repayment strategy. And we really just want you to know that there are a lot of ways to pay back your student loans, no matter how much student debt that you have, um, that will also help you to have a fairly robust financial plan um, as a veterinarian. Thanks everybody for being here. We really appreciate it. Again, if you have any questions, studentdebt at vinfoundation.org. Keep an eye out for those emails. And we really appreciate you guys being here and we're here to help. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.